You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. The prophets foreshadowed the prophet that was to come. Jesus had in his ministry a priestly aspect, a prophetic aspect, and a kingly aspect. A lot of people, scholars might even call it the triadic roles of, of uh, the triadic role of Christ. That he was both a prophet, he was a truth teller who spoke out to oppression and injustice. He was a priest who bridged the way, bridged the way of the people of God to God himself through the order of Melchizedek. And then he was also the king, the king of Israel that came through the line of David. And in the Sermon on the Mount, we see, in a sense, all three put together. The Sermon on the Mount, I propose to you, is the constitution of the Christian life. That there is no greater sermon that Jesus preached than the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the things we have to reckon with is if our interpretation of the Scriptures cannot be summed up, embodied, or found in the life and death, or in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, we may have our interpretation wrong. See, Jesus is the referee to all Christian battles. Jesus is the referee to all doctrinal battles. Jesus is the referee to all theological disagreements. Jesus is the one who embodies everything and anything that God was going to say, has ever said, and ever would say. God had so much to say to humanity that he couldn't say it anymore in pages. He had to say it in a person. And so if we ever want to know what it looks like to live a humble life, to live a grace-filled life, to live a life of love, to live a life of justice, to live a life of faithfulness, then we have to look no further than Jesus Christ. All interpretations of the Bible have to be found in Jesus. And I'm quoting Jesus when he said to the Pharisees who thought that they could come to God through better Bible study, he said, look, all the scriptures are summed up or point to or bear witness to me. And so today I want to look at Jesus and hear what he had to say. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and then he began to teach them, saying, let's read it together. The poor in spirit are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Those who mourn are blessed, for they will be comforted. The gentle are blessed, for they will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed, for they will be filled. The merciful are blessed, for they will be shown mercy. The pure in heart are blessed, for they will see God. The peacemakers are blessed, for they will be called sons of God. Those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who went before you. So you can see why we have to deal with this text as we start moving into the journey and the passion of Christ as we get closer to to Easter. The prophets were speaking a a word of justice and righteousness. The prophets were speaking a word of mercy and grace. The prophets were calling a nationalistic, overzealous in their patriotism people to humility and gratefulness rather than a simple pride of status and self-reliance. And that ministry has never stopped. 
Jesus is seeking to form a prophetic people in his church. The problem I find in my own life with the Sermon on the Mount, particularly the Beatitudes, is that I like to see myself as the poor, as the mourner, as the gentle, as the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. By the way, what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Hungering and thirst for righteousness is having a deep desire to see all that's been made wrong in the world made right. We call that justice. The idea that all that has been made wrong in the world, cancer, we want to, we hunger and thirst to see it gone because it's an insult to humanity. We hunger and thirst to see war gone. We hunger and thirst to see death gone. We hunger and thirst to see betrayal gone. We hunger and thirst to see brokenness gone. We hunger and thirst to see dying bodies no longer dying. We hunger and thirst to see all that gone. That's what Jesus means. Those of you, because he's talking to the oppressed, he's saying, look, those of you who hunger and thirst for God to make right what has been made wrong in this world, you'll be filled. Because you know what's up. You know how the world is coming to an end. You know that death doesn't have the final word. You know that the oppressor can't oppress forever. You know that the world's not going to be on a figure eight, cyclical war forever. You know that there's going to come a time. And no wonder why then that closes out the line. See, I want to propose to you in the Beatitudes, there are two lines of people. There are two lines of people within the community that God is forming through Christ. The first line of people are the ones who have not. They're the ones who are weak in society standing. They're the ones who are poor in spirit, mourn, gentle, who hunger for what has been made wrong in this world right. That's the first line. These are the people without power. These are the people who find themselves vulnerable. But in the second part of the Beatitudes forms a second line of people. These are the people who have something, who have power. Blessed are the merciful. What does that assume? If you can show mercy, what does that assume? That you have some power. You have some influence. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the the persecuted. And Jesus says to us that persecution is going to happen. We're going to live in a society that doesn't want to hear us tell the truth about peace. Hear us tell the truth about righteousness and justice. Hear us tell the truth about grace and love. Hear us tell the truth about humility. We live in a society that's not going to want to hear us tell the truth about not rejoicing when people uh, do get what they deserve. And as a result, people are going to have something to say about it. When the people of God decide to play the role of prophetic community, the people of God find themselves at odds, sometimes with one another and sometimes with others. Like I said before, everybody's a Christian when the plane's going down because it becomes about what God can do for me. But when God asks me to do something for you, that's a different ballgame all of a sudden. And when we cry out, peace, peace, in the midst of a war given to anything but peace, everything we are is called to question just like it was the prophets. See, the prophets were patriots. The prophets were social critics, though. Prophets love their people. They love their country. 
But the prophets realized that the people of God had put too much weight on their country. The prophets had put too much pressure on their country. The prophets were social critics, not because they didn't love the people in society, but the prophets realized that society was killing itself. The prophets were statesmen. Prophets were preachers. They were ethicists. They believed in an ethic. And in a time when there was a society that wanted to make its own way, the prophets found themselves on the out, and almost every prophet's life ended in death. And yet Jesus says, you are blessed when they insult you and falsely say every kind of evil about you. Standing for what is true and what is right in accordance to the gospel is going to put you on the outs with so many people, even people in this building. And you just have to know that you're blessed. You're blessed because you're seeking to bear witness to the world that is to come not just the world that is. Christians live as though we know how God is bringing this world to bear. And as a result of that, Christians are asked to live that way. We're asked to live our lives in such a way that the world that is coming true might come true in us. God never asked His church to change the world. He asked His church to bear witness to the world that was changing. Where there is hate, may we fill it with love. Where there is hurt, may we fill it with hope. Where there is mercilessness, may we fill it with mercy. Where there is gracelessness, may we fill it with grace. Where there is pain, may we fill it with peace. May this be the place where people can find hope and love and grace. May this be the place where people can find the fullness of Christ. May this be the place where people can find the life of God manifest in all of its imperfection in our lives together. Not in your life and my life individually, but in our lives together. Where there is disagreement and marginalization, where there is um, choosing corners and creating tribes in the world, may, where there's categories of separation and distinction, may this be the one place where those things do not have the final word. That's the idea. And so the two lines that Jesus creates in this text, he brings together. And so then he says, if you keep reading in verse 15, or keep reading there in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be trampled, thrown out and trampled on by men. You are the light of the world. What does light do? It dispels darkness. But what does it do when it dispels darkness? It reveals. You ever wondered why Jesus chooses to use light as his metaphor in this text? When a people of God believe in the world that is to come, because it is broken in among us, and we begin to live in accordance to those rules, not the rules of reign of sin and death, not the rules of violence and warmongering and, and pride and, 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 and ideological categories and, and party politics and all those other, not those rules. When the people of God choose to live according to the other rules that is to come, that have come in based on the world that is and is to come, then they become a light because they reveal what's tripping people up. They, they, we reveal what's tripping the world up. 
That's what the church is supposed to do. We're supposed to live in such a way that the world sees us as the alternative and says, I think this one's better. I've wondered what's been stubbing my toe this whole time. But we can't. We can't be that people if we don't enter into the darkness. If we're too busy building bubbles around us, not allowing the darkness to come in. Don't be surprised that the darkness is so dark and don't think that dark has more power than light. It's an absurdity. Darkness cannot overtake light. So what is the church afraid of? Why are we always defending? The word defense in your Bible doesn't mean defend. It means labor for. That's what the word contend in the Greek means. It means labor for. What are we so afraid of? Well, that the darkness is going to overcome the light? That's what they said about Jesus. We think somehow that what is unclean can overtake what has been made clean. After Aaron talks about being restored, do we really think the world has that much power? No. We should welcome the darkness among us because we know the light will scatter it. We should go into the darkness because we know that we can scatter the darkness and reveal what is tripping people up. And we should care enough, right? And that's why Jesus says, look, you're a light. You're a light in the world. A city situated on a hill can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and and gives light for all those who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men. Don't make it shine. You don't have to force it to shine. The word is let. In other words, just be faithful. Deal with the planks in your eyes as a people and just be faithful. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So yes, church, this is about good works. This is about doing good. This is about living a good life. A life of justice and righteousness and faith and mercy and humility and love. This is about practicing what we preach. This is about being willing to take my shoes off and give it to a man with no shoes. Take my shirt off and give it to a man with no shirt. This is about welcoming the stranger and giving food to the hungry. This is about forgiving someone when they have wronged me and welcoming them back in despite what I desire. Jesus goes on, he says, don't assume that I have come to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but what? Fulfill. For I assure you until heaven and earth passes away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches people to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. In other words, I tell you the truth, until you start practicing what it is you keep preaching, you will never see the reality of what God is doing in the world. See, what Jesus wants to create is a prophetic community. A newer member of our church was um, talking to the Auburn students that were here, and they were asking her why she chose to be a part of this church. She's watched us from a distance for about two to three years. She's known of the work of God among you. 
And when she was asked why she became a part of this church, she said the most profound statement I've ever heard in my six and a half years of being here. She said, well, for me, I feel like this church is more like a movement than anything else. I love that language. It feels more like a movement. That it's not just to gather people who sing great songs or hear great sermons or take a great table time or have great aesthetic features. It's, it's not about that for this person. This person didn't come to this church because of the preaching and the music. This person didn't give her family's life away to this congregation because of what we do on a Sunday. This person wanted to be a part of what God was doing and felt like this church in some meager way was trying to do that too and decided to join in for that. And I think that's what God calls us to. So I wanted to close today with a lengthy reading of Scripture and maybe add in a little commentary from time to time. And it's Ephesians 4. Because all of this has to look like something, right? Like it's one thing to hear the Sermon on the Mount, but it's another thing to make it practical. Ephesians 4 verse 1, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. Do you have to earn your calling? No. Have you received it? It's grace. Now what is when Paul says walk worthy of it, what's he saying? What's he saying? Yeah, yeah, make the most of it, right? Like live as though you've received something different. Like if I give you $20, he's saying invest it. Don't just hold on to it and put it in a frame and hang it and say, wow, you know, I received this $20. You've received it. You've been given it. You don't have to earn it now. Just live as though you've been given it. Live as though you know what God is doing in the world. Right? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called into one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of the Messiah's gift. Raise your hand if you've received grace. Yep, and not only have we received grace in some generic fashion, right? We've received grace in a very specific fashion. Now, grace has to do with a giftedness. Has to do with a way of being and a way of doing this kind of life we're called into in the church. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took prisoners into captivity. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that Christ ascended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might what? Fill all things. Paul's point is just trying to say, there is not one inch of the cosmos Christ has not touched. His atoning life and death and resurrection has touched the past, the present, and the future. And we are the present. And so he says that he personally gave some to the church to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Read this with me for the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Who's supposed to do the work of ministry? We are. Where does our training happen? In part here when we gather. In our missional communities. In our other Bible studies. In our prayer communities. Training happens there. When you skip out, you skip out on training. Right? Like that's the idea. 
Training happens for our kids. Training for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a statue measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. What do you think he means by all that? Are there alternatives that sound better than Christianity at times? There are. I mean, this whole love your enemy thing is not how I want to roll. This whole treat others as I would have myself to be treated is not my preference. If God gave me a divine eraser, half the Sermon on the Mount would just be gone. This lending freely to others without expectation of return, not something I particularly want to do. This entering into the brokenness of this world, I've got enough brokenness to deal with on my own. This whole blessed are you when you get called names by your own Christian brothers and sisters, yeah, I don't know about all that because it doesn't feel blessed, believe me. Like, I just, I just, I, I don't, I don't, I don't agree, but Jesus didn't ask me to vote for him nor pass a referendum. The fact of the matter is, I could come up with a lot more persuasive ways to live that were more in line with our, um, the reign of sin and death, which seems more natural to me than the reign of kingdom of grace, which seems most unnatural. I could deny systems and all that all I want to, but the Bible ain't going to be on my side. It's got something to say. I can deny the loving the enemies thing and justify it 75 ways from Sunday as to why I shouldn't, but the Bible's not going to be on my side because we've got a God who'd rather die for his enemies than kill them. Working for peace is not the easiest thing to do to bring about shalom and wholeness in other people's lives because I'm such a broken person, but yet it's still a calling we have. There's a lot of better ways to live our lives if we wanted to live according to the reign of sin and death, but if we want to live according to the reign of grace, there's one way to live, and that way is Jesus. And so he says, but speaking the truth in love, not in anger or frustration, not in disappointment, but speaking the truth in love, Let us grow in every way into him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body being fitted and knit together with every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in the love by the proper working of each individual part. See, our church continues to grow for some strange reason and it has nothing to do with the preaching. It has nothing to do with the music. It has to do with the life that we all live together. The fact that we can stand up and try to care for the people that nobody cares for in our society while we're still trying to figure out how to care for one another. That's why God is entrusting us with people, maybe. Maybe God knows that if nothing else, as jacked up as we all are and as bad as the sermons can be and you know, as much as our technology doesn't want to cooperate, People aren't looking for a good sermon on a Tuesday afternoon when their life has fallen to hell in a handbasket. They're looking for somebody they can call. And when you receive a call, you respond. I'm just a part of that. But you are the church. 
Therefore I say, verse 17, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. Stop playing according to the old rules then. Stop, he says. Just stop. Stop playing according to the old rules. Stop calling names for crying out loud. Stop saying those things for crying out loud. Stop buying into the, to the politics of this world and buy into the politics of Jesus. Stop living as though this world and how it operates is how it's always going to be. Stop being so fear-ridden by the things in this world and fear not the one who can kill the body, but the one who can kill the soul. Just stop, he says, stop living like the Gentiles walk in the futility in their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their heart, they became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that is not how you learned about the Messiah, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him because the truth is in Jesus. You took off the former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You should be thinking differently about the world. You should be thinking differently. The prophets help us think differently about the world. That's why I felt like we needed to sit with the prophets. They help us think differently about our country, differently about our world, differently about the West, differently about our hemisphere, differently about our neighborhoods, differently about our neighbors, differently about our enemies, differently about our ethics. And then we see all of that summed up in Jesus. Our minds should be changing. Changing and put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of truth. Since you put away lying, Paul really gives us the benefit of the doubt, doesn't he? <laughs> Since you put away lying, <laughs> parenthetical remark, I know you still do. Speak the truth. See, speaking the truth in love is different from our society's plain spokenness and telling it like it is and throwing around all these socio-political terms like political correctness. That, that language does have, has no place in the kingdom of God. We just, we just don't. Speaking the truth in love is our ethic. I don't even concern myself with your little PC stuff. I don't care. I don't care, I don't care about not being. I don't care about being. None of that's not my, that's not my concern. And speaking the truth in love, the best I know how. And trying to live the truth that I speak. Best I know how. Speaking the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. See, what, what's interesting to me about church is we think somehow that, that, that we can avoid each other. We can't avoid each other. Because we're members of one another. You don't have to like George, but you're attached to him, and he's attached to you, and me to you, and God bless us all, Hoyt to us, and Ruth to us, and Collins to us. And so when we try to separate from one another, we just cut one another up. We cut off our arms. We cut off our hands. We cut off our feet. We cut off our fingers. That's why we got to stay together. We're members of one another. The arm doesn't say to the, to the hand, I'm really sick of you. It may feel that way because the hand doesn't do what the hand needs to do, but the arm still got the hand. 
So be angry and sin not. It's okay to be angry. But don't let it turn into wrath. And don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give, say it with me. Look at the text, verse verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun grow down on your anger, verse 27. And don't give what? The devil an opportunity. Don't be played. Don't be played. Don't get played. Don't get played. That's what he means, Fred. Don't get played. The thief must no longer steal. Don't get me wrong. Instead, we must do honest work with his own hands so that we will have something to share with anyone in need. It's interesting because the Bible assumes that we all work for a living not to get but to give away. I think that's interesting about the text. It assumes we're working in order to give, not to gain. No foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need and gives grace to those who hear. In other words, build one another up. Don't tear one another down. Not even passive aggressively. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You were sealed by Him in the days of redemption. All bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. Read it with me just as God also forgave you in Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as the Messiah has also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints. Coarse and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For no one recognized this. Every sexual immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater which is why we have to speak to idolatry. Which is why I have spoken to idolatry, which for many of us sometimes is our nation. For many of us sometimes it's our work. For many of us sometimes it's our family. I will constantly do that unapologetically in the name of Jesus because I love you too much not to. Does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God and of the Messiah. So let no one deceive you with empty arguments. God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of what? Light. For the fruit of light results in all goodness, righteousness. What's another word for righteousness? Justice. It's another word for righteousness is justice. Doing right. And truth discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made clear, for what makes everything clear is light. Therefore it is said, wake up and rise from the dead, and the Messiah will shine on you. So pay careful attention then how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Not as people who bought into the reign of sin and death, but people who are buying into the reign of grace. Wise. And don't be foolish. Oh, I'm sorry. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's of the will is, what the Lord's will is, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions. But be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, and making music from the heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Read the rest with me, please. Verse twenty-one: Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Mutual submission is the call of the Christian life. Mutual submission. 
Because mutual submission recognizes that we're members of one another. Mutual submission recognizes that we're all in submission to God in Christ. Why do I teach this this morning? Well, we're a family, right? So I'm going to go on the I'm going to go on the limb, go out on a limb and say we're a family. Because I know this prophet series has tweaked so many of you in so many ways. I know that that hearing the prophets speak against overzealous patriotism has challenged some of your patriotism. I know that some of you have felt uncomfortable with the things that God has had to say to his people about their social ethical commitments. Not because you're an unethical person, not because you and I don't love God, not, not any of that. It's just the point is the prophets hit a little close to home for some of us. And some of you took it out on me, some of you took it out on others. I, I, can, I guess I can appreciate that, it comes with the territory. But I just wanted you to see. This is what it means to walk in faith together. This is what it means to take seriously what Jesus is doing in the world. It's what it means to live in the light. We love one another for God's sake. We guard one another's backs. We protect these values. We learn to believe one another's motives. And it'd be good if we would sing one another's praises. And so I wanted to say to you as a church, it is your witness that has gone out. Those Auburn students who came, their lives were changed because of what they learned in and through you. Those of you who kept them like the Somiers and others, who gave up your home and your time to keep them, the Keebles, your presence with them your hospitality toward them meant something to them. But let me tell you, I got a call from one of the largest churches in Montgomery, Alabama, who want to come down and spend a week with us too. And what does that mean? It just means that the witness of God among you has gone out so much so that when a person is asked why they joined this church, she said, it's not so much a church, it feels, as it feels like more of a movement. I've been a part of church all my life but I want to be a part of a movement too. I want to be a part of something that brings light to darkness and that makes right what's been made wrong in the world. I want to be a part of telling the truth and opening up every conversation that's among us and not having to create other groups that have to talk about things in quiet. I want to call out the elephants in the room and kill them with a death by a thousand cuts or just slay their necks, whatever's best, but I don't want anybody getting trampled over it and I don't want to get trampled either. I want to be a part of a church that holds to the highest ethics as humanly possible, and that is to love God and to love neighbor as we love ourselves. I want to be part of that. I want to be part of a group that when a kid struggles with same-sex attraction, they can feel like they can confess it with us and have no fear of being judged or condemned. I want to be a part of a church that allows everybody and anybody to come and be in the presence of God without feeling as though we've got to get them right first. I want to be a part of a church where the most broken people among us can find healing and hope, not because we're healing not because we are completely healed and not because we're full with hope, but because we are healing and we believe in hope. I want to be a part of a church that lets anybody belong because it's a church that believes that no one gets to choose who belongs. I want to be a part of a church that's not afraid of the darkness because we trust in the fact that we are covered in the light. I want to be a part of a church that has the courage and the boldness to speak the truth in love regardless of the consequences. That's why I'm a part of Williamsburg Christian Church.
And I want us to keep being that church. We're not perfect. So I want to be a part of a church that when we fail, we ask for forgiveness. When we fall short, we apologize and we do our best again. I want to be a part of that church too. I want to be a part of a church that celebrates the bread and the wine every week and remembers who we are. <laughs>